got elementary age kids. We would love for them to be a part of what we have going on in our Vine Kids time and area. They will be uh, walking out the side door or uh, the back door. Likewise, middle school age, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, we've got an opportunity for that group as well in our new back area. We'd love for you to be a part of what we have going on there um, as well. Well, for those of you that came for the first time last week, and I implored you to come back because half the church was gone, welcome back. Uh, If you took me up on that, we're glad you're here. Um, We took a break last week for those of you that were on the retreat, and we actually explored Acts 2, which we talked about on the retreat. So both communities, uh, as we were out there in uh, New Life Ranch and the one that was here, were still together kind of exploring uh, Acts 2 and kind of what that meant. So all the things we worked through this past weekend on the retreat, we actually explored here in a similar context, and so we had kind of taken a break from, from the series that we're on. But about seven weeks ago, we started this series called Call to Life, and it's an examination of First Peter. Um, and it's kind of a look at how, and I mentioned this during our announcement time, it's kind of a look at how even in life's most difficult moments, in life's moments that sometimes don't make sense, where maybe, maybe suffering and struggle kind of abound, like we are still called as followers of Christ to have love and hope and purpose and joy in every single one of those moments. And even when life feels like it's suffocating, there's purpose. And we talked about how God is at work and it moves and all these different things. And it's uh, been a really neat journey. And it's one that's very personal to me because life is not always easy. And we're not talking about putting on happy faces and fake smiles. We're talking about finding true hope and joy in the Lord and how that translates to circumstances and all those kind of things. And so if you remember, uh, Peter is writing this to the scattered believers all over Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Believers that were scattered in small numbers that had been taken and either removed from Jerusalem or become a believer on, uh, from one of the apostles on one of their missionary journeys. Uh, it was not a Christian culture. They were living in some severe persecution, and the church looked very different um, than how it looks today. And we kind of use those as our anchor points of saying, what would it look like to wake up every morning and realize that today might be a day that I lost my life uh, to follow Jesus? And we talked about the difficulties and the hardships and kind of all those things. Well, the last couple weeks, we've been in this kind of area where Peter has talked very specifically about one word. And the idea, you know, one word is the idea of submission. And for a lot of us, the idea of submission kind of makes us squirm a little bit. It makes our skin kind of crawl because it goes against a lot of what our sort of western kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps or take what you want kind of mentality. It brings about this idea in us of weakness or defeatism. We just don't really like the word that much. But like most things, our kind of understanding of it is far from the biblical picture of it. And so what we've been trying to do is is not just reconcile those things, but to actually take a biblical look at what the idea of submission is. And for the past few weeks, we've addressed the two first categories that Peter's kind of been talking about in terms of submission. Submission to authorities and government. We talked about uh, what that looked like and, and the purpose behind that. And when we talked about submission in terms of slaves to masters and the difficulties there and how uncomfortable that made a lot of us to even talk about the idea. And then this morning we're going to be looking at Peter's third kind of piece of this submission puzzle or things, and that's submission in terms of wives to husbands in the context and covenant of marriage. And so and slowly everybody gets up and leaves, right? Like that's the other one that like makes us squirm a little bit because we have a real misunderstanding of this whole idea of submission in the first place. And so what we're going to try and do this morning is put those things in their right context and understand it from a biblical perspective. Because from a biblical perspective, submission is a beautiful and incredible thing in which God is honored and glorified in all three of those incredible categories. And 
this picture within the covenant of marriage is no different. It's actually a really powerful thing and a beautiful design in which God has demonstrated the picture of Christ in the church to the entire watching world through the covenant of marriage. And it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. So I will say this, though. If you aren't married here today, this, the stuff we're going to talk about is just as applicable to you um, and maybe your future marriage or just your ideas and thoughts on what it means to be a true biblical woman or your understanding of the nature and relationship of marriage in terms of how Christ kind of pours that picture out with the church. It's, it's incredibly important, and I think it's high value for all of us. So this is not a, just sort of a single picture, but we, all have to, we do have to address the text as it is, and uh, Peter's going to be addressing specifically women, and he's going to be talking to them about what a true biblical woman looks like and how that's played out within the context and covenant of marriage. So that's what we're going to be today in this sort of, sort of difficult text and challenges that are before us, and they're really amazing things to wrestle with and come to grips with. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be in the first six verses. In the first six verses, we're going to be talking specifically about and to uh, the idea of biblical womanhood and the picture of marriage uh, and submission within that context. Next week, we're going to be exploring the role and uh, responsibility of husbands. So that's not going to be left off, but this is just sort of where Peter takes us today. And as we walk through text and teach through it, we just, we deal with what's in front of us and we explore it. And this is where we're going to be um, this morning. So if you've got that, I want you to open up and then let's take a few moments, let's pray together. And then we're just going to dive right in and see what, what we can uncover. Lord, we thank you for the chance to gather here this morning um, from all walks of life. God, we thank you that you are a God who is at work and you are a God who is sovereign. You are in control of all things. Nothing happens uh, without your hand, Lord. You are um, in all and through all, and all things work together for your glory. And so, God, we know that as we look at some of these difficult texts, we know that your word is true. We know that it is never false. And, God, we know that it is there to bring about your honor and your glory and to demonstrate to the world what a relationship with Jesus actually looks like and the grace that's played out there. And so, Lord, I pray that what we do is just soak in your word this morning. That we would just listen to what you're speaking to our hearts. And that we might find ourselves in this picture that Peter paints here today. And that we might find great joy in it. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord to prepare you um, just to hear his word this morning. Just to teach you something. Just to maybe speak to your heart. Just ask the Lord to teach you this morning. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you or in front of you. We do this every week. We want to be a church that's in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds here on a Sunday morning is not about you. We want God to move in the lives of people, so be someone that prays for other people. Pray for your spouse, or pray for your friend, or pray for that guy or girl you don't know. Just pray that the Lord would move in them. Lord, we take this opportunity this morning just to come before you and ask you to teach us through your word. We know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. We don't take it lightly. We ask you to speak to us and teach us in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So what I'm going to ask you to do this morning as we kind of go into this is drop your, uh, 
your kind of guard that says, I need to be careful what I'm about to hear, what I'm about to listen to, because I've got some preconceived notions about what's kind of in this idea of submission, especially within or outside the context and covenant of marriage. I just want you to, for a moment, let that go and just let the text speak to us. And let's look at the big context of what Paul, Peter is teaching and what Jesus is saying and how this really reflects his, his glory. So it's going to take a little bit of us, we think about things like slaves and masters and submission to governments that we don't like and even the idea of submission within the context of marriage. That We're not looking at it through a lens that's been created for us by culture. But we're going to look at it through a lens that is actually biblically driven. Okay, so we're going to drop that and we're just going to see what the text says to us this morning. Um, <clears throat> so let's take a look. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words, but by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and wearing gold and jewelry or fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So I want to do three things this morning um, that I think are going to kind of uh, address this complexities, the complexities of this text. I want to first address what I believe Peter is showing as four incredible pillars of a true biblical woman. Um, like four pillars of what biblical womanhood really looks like that are right here in our text. And then I want to explore just briefly what submission is not. And then I want to explore what submission is. And so this is kind of where we're going to kind of dispel some of the things that have raised up in our soul that make us want to push back, right? They want to make us kind of argue the idea away because I think we've misunderstood culturally what's spoken of when we talk about submission. So let's, we're going to explore it from those things. But before we do that, we have to look at two things that Peter mentions in verse 1 that are going to set up our context that we have to understand. So in verse 1, Peter says this. It says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husband. So verse 1 is going to set the tone for our understanding of this passage. Now, like all passages in Scripture, in scripture we have to understand them in their context. It's why we work through Scripture. It's why we start in 1 Peter 1 and we work all our way to the end of the book. Because understanding the context of Scripture is great. Where we get in real problems, we begin to pick verses out, turn them into something else. That's how cults and other religions, all kinds of things are born out of our misuse and misunderstanding of Scripture. So we're looking at it at its, in its whole context. And Peter ties two really important things into the context in verse 1. He says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husband. So the first phrase we have to pay attention to is in the same way. So what that phrase does, it links us very intentionally to the other ways that Peter is talking about submission. So this passage is not meant to be a standalone passage. It's meant to be read in the same way that the previous two ideas of submission are read. <clears throat> so if you've been here for the past weeks that we've explored these, submission in terms of to government and to authorities, submission in terms of slaves to masters, right? This idea of wives submitting to your husbands has to be understood in that same way. And if you remember, we saw some overarching principles that guided our understanding of submission, right? They were, we're not going to go through them all, but I'll just kind of mention them for you. We talked about submission in terms of, in ways to honor the Lord. So the idea of submission first is this God-honoring thing that happens. Uh, so submission is first and foremost to honor the Lord. We talked about submission in terms of bearing witness to Christ. So a lot of the reason that we call to submit in these categories is to bear witness to the watching world 
to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. We talked about that in terms of authority. We talked about it in terms of slaves and masters. And we actually see it here that part of the entire point of this text is that a wife may win her husband to Christ. So the second big piece here is, is that we submit, right, so that we can bear witness to Christ. And the third thing we learned in those previous texts was that we submit because we are truly free. But submission is not about oppression. But submission is actually about a fearless act of faith in which we trust the Lord because we are free in Christ. So although the world may say that we are held captive, the truth is, is that we are free in Jesus. Submission is not about being caged or about being held down. Submission is actually about true freedom in Christ that we submit out of choice and out of will to honor the Lord and to bear witness to Jesus Christ. So first phrase, in that same manner. So with those overarching principles in mind is how we're going to begin to address the idea of submission within the context of marriage. The second thing that Peter or says there is he says, wives, submit to your husband. Some translations will say to your own husband. What that means is it's a very unique relationship between a husband and a wife in which they are called into this idea of submission. What that doesn't say is that all women are called to submit to men in the same way. It's not the category of the case. They are called to a very unique relationship in which they submit to the leadership of a husband as played out through scripture and not to categorically the idea of men. It's a very unique relationship that Peter plays out. So what we're not talking about is this sort of weakness, defeatism that just sort of says, I have to submit to the authority of men in general. We're talking about a unique relationship within the context and covenant of marriage. Okay, so those things are really, really important because they're part of this context. So likewise, this sort of God-honoring, bear witness to Christ, I'm free in Jesus, submission into a relationship in which God is the head, the ruler, and has had this covenant, beautiful covenant of a marriage between a man and a woman, right? So that's the picture that we've got. So we keep those two things in mind. So the first thing that I want to do with those in mind is I want to uncover what I believe to be four pillars that Peter paints of a true biblical woman, okay? And of course there are more, and we can look at other pictures and scriptures and see those things, but we're looking at the six verses that we've got this morning, and I believe that he puts four pillars in place that are going to actually demonstrate for us what submission is and what submission isn't. They're going to dispel some of those problems that uh, you might have or that I might have with the idea of submission. So let's jump down to verse 5 because we're going to do vi- 5, 6 and then come back to 3 and 4. And we're going to see these pillars at play. So in verse 5, as Peter explains what submission is and what it looks like and what, kind of what it's not, he gets down there and he says, he says this. <clears throat> he says, For this is the way that holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. So Peter ties this idea of submission to this historically great movement of godly, holy women. And he says, this is the way that women of the past used to put their hope in God. So when he talks about submission, he's talking about this first principle of a true biblical woman, that she is hopeful. But she is not hopeful in her husband. She is not hopeful in what she wears, as we'll talk about in a moment. She is hopeful full and foremost in the promises and presence of God. And this is a demonstration of women that have gone before her, women that have gone before you, women that are holy women of the past. And he's going to use Abraham's wife, Sarah, as an example in a moment. But he says the first characteristic of a woman, of a true biblical woman, of a true biblical womanhood is that she is hopeful. And she is not hopeful in the things around her. She has not placed all of her hope in her husband's ability to lead and her husband's ability to do right. She's not putting all of her hope in her ability to adorn the outside of her body so that the world looks at her and says, 
she's got it together. She's not putting her hope in those things. She's putting her hope fully and uh, foremost into the promise and presence of God. Now, the great picture of this, of course, comes out of Proverbs 31. And Proverbs 31 is this picture of what a woman of noble character looks like. But there's a great verse in verse 25 that comes out of that chapter. Um, We learn this. It says that a woman of noble character, she is clothed with strength and dignity. And she can laugh at the days to come. A woman who puts her hope in the Lord can look at the future and laugh at what it brings in comparison to the hope and promise of God. Now, we're not talking about a a, a laughter like a joke, but in terms of the promises of God, what in the world does a future have on me? That I believe that God is who he says he is, he's a protector and he's a provider, and my provision is in him, and whatever the days bring, I will laugh at them because I have the protection and promises of God. And so we see the anchor of a biblical woman rooted first and foremost in hope. And this is what the biblical women of the past, the examples that we have seen, that they have rooted their hope that they can laugh in the face of what is to come in the future because of the hope they have in the promise and provision and presence of God. So the first pillar that we see Peter unpacking here is this idea that a true biblical woman is hopeful. And she is not hopeful in another human. She is not hopeful in the outward material. She is hopeful in the Lord. And this is how she begins to make herself beautiful. In other words, hope in the Lord is stunning. He goes on to say this in verse 6. And we've got a second pillar here. He says, for this is how the holy women of the past put their hope in God and used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master, You are daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, don't get caught in the weeds and language here. I want you to see these overarching big principles, right? Don't get drugged down by what's at the bottom of your feet. But listen to what Peter is saying. He's saying that we are truly sons of Abraham, right? Sons and daughters of Abraham and and daughters. You are daughters of Sarah, right? If you're fearless. If you don't allow fear and anxiety to seize you. Listen to what he says there at the very end. He says, you are her daughters if you do what is right and you do not give way to fear. Because hope and confidence in God, the promise of his provision, his protection, that anchor point which has sort of rooted holy, biblical, godly women leads to fearlessness. It's why submission is not ruled out of fear. It's why we talk about submission to governments or slaves to masters or even in this case that Submission is not an act of cowardice or fear. Submission is actually the opposite. It's an act of total and unwavering trust and hope in God. That I believe he is who he says he is. That I trust his promises. That he will protect and provide. And when the future comes, I can laugh at those days ahead. Because my anxiety and worry are not there. Because I've overcome that fear by trusting the Lord. So true biblical womanhood is built on this idea of hopefulness in the Lord. And it's built on the idea of fearlessness. I'm not afraid of what the world or what people or what things will say or do. Because God has strengthened me, has empowered me. And my worry and anxiety are put to death. Because I know God is who he says he is. So you've got this picture of this sort of hopefulness in Christ. And a fearlessness. A true biblical fearlessness that marks you as a daughter of Sarah. Remember, Abraham and Sarah were the ones that God had given the promise of this covenant through. That we would all come from the line of Abraham. And that we are part of the 
promise that was given, this covenant that was made with Abraham. And you are true daughters of Sarah when you do right and you're marked by fearlessness. Submission is not an act of fear or cowardice. We'll talk about that in a moment. It's actually the opposite. It's an act of fearless faith. So a true biblical woman, the first two pillars that we see are, are there, she is hopeful and she is fearless. The third thing that we see comes in verse 3 and 4. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 3 and 4 say this, Your beauty should not come from the outward adornment, such as braided hair, wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So the third pillar that we see of a, a, a true biblical woman or a biblical, a biblical womanhood is that she is beautiful. But like fear and like hope, it's not rooted in the things of the world, right? Her beauty doesn't come from what she adorns herself with on the outside. Again, this is not a ban on fancy hairdos and clothes and jewelry, right? Although if you ever braid your hair, we'll know what you're up to, right? No. The idea being, it's not a ban on those things. The bigger picture is something that's really obvious and it's right there. So don't get caught in the weeds. What's right there is what defines you is not what the outside looks like. And that our pursuit should not be on what we put to cover up the inside. But what we should do is be beautiful from the identity that we have in Christ. That what makes a woman truly beautiful is the renewed spirit that she has that's been born in a relationship with Jesus. It's our identity in Christ. What Peter is essentially saying here is what makes someone beautiful is not what we do on the outside. This goes for men as well, but it's a mark of a true biblical woman that recognizes that what she's not doing is trying to win the world by how she looks. But she is proud and engaged with her inner self because her inner self is marked by a saving relationship with Jesus, a gentle and beautiful spirit that honors the Lord. The pillar of a, of a biblical woman is that she's beautiful, but not in the way the world says she has to look, not in the way that tells my almost 18-year-old daughter she has to, to look in order to be approved, but in a way that says God has taken what was broken, this sort of heap of ashes and garbage, and he's turned it into the most amazing, beautiful thing, and he calls you beloved, and it is this inside self, and it radiates truth, and it is beautiful. And the pillars that we see Peter painting, that she is hopeful in the Lord, that she is fearless because of that, and that she is marked by beauty because she has been transformed on the inside by a relationship with Jesus. You see the principle here. The true biblical womanhood is not defined by what the external world says it needs to be. Submission is not defined by this idea of weakness in laying down. It is actually empowered by hope in the Lord, fearless character that trusts the Lord, and an inner beauty that springs forth and gives witness to Christ. You see, biblical womanhood is this bold, powerful truth that's expressed in gentleness and honors the Lord. So we've got those three principles. And then we get to the fourth one, which if you see the natural progression here, you see where faithful submission comes out of. The progression to get to faithfully submittive, submittive becomes an outpouring of these first three things. That because my hope is in the Lord, because I trust in his promises and his provision, I'm going to laugh at what the future brings because I'm not afraid of it. God has never left me nor forsaken me. He is my God and I'm fearless in his presence. And because I have hope in him and because he has transformed my anxieties and worries into trust, 
He has renewed my inner self to believe that he is who he says he is. That I don't have to adorn my outside to find praise. And it's not the definition of who I am. But I am beautiful because my inner self is fully alive in Christ. It's out of those three things that faithful submission comes. And this is what we see Peter say. Wives, submit to your husbands. Faithful submission flows out of those biblical truths. And it's the fourth pillar of a true biblical woman. And it's important to see the progression that way. Because submission is not a mandate. Submission is a picture of this Christ-honoring relationship with him. In which he is glorified. It bears witness to Christ and in which a woman is truly free. The same way that submission plays out in the other scenarios. And she's built on this idea of she is hopeful and she is fearless and she is beautiful and she is faithfully living in submission. So then that brings, of course, the question of, okay, so in that context and understanding, I'm, I'm in with that, but what does that really look like? What is it and was it not? Because it's a sad thing that our culture has really perverted this incredibly beautiful complementary relationships of men and women. And has taken it and scoffed at it or said, hey, look, it has no place in our culture. It's antiquated or even perverted it the other direction. And it's a tragedy. Because when you understand it in terms of its calling and its beauty and its picture of Christ in the church to the watching world, it's right here in text, which means we have to pay attention to it. And it's really amazing. And it's not degrading. It's empowering and it's true and it's wonderful. And so it begs the question then, what is it not? How have we blown it? How have we misunderstood it? Well, most of what we misunderstand is actually framed in these first two verses. Because there's a very specific context that Peter is actually writing to. And I hope some of you caught it when we first said it. But he says this, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So the scenario here that Peter is painting is one of a woman who has given her life to Christ. And a husband who has heard the gospel and has not. It's a very unique situation. But the reason I think Peter does it is because it gives way to a few really powerful things that submission is not. Because in this context, if submission was the way we as a culture want to pervert it to be, then some things would be blown up. But this is what we see. I kind of wrote them down so I could remember. I kind of wrote them and kind of came up. There's probably more, but these, these are the six things that I think, and we'll do them really quickly, that I think a, a submission is not, or ways that we've perverted it, but they're going to give light in those first two verses. So we know this, that submission is not agreeing with everything that your husband says, right? So we're very clear. We see that in chapter 1 and 2. I mean, I mean, verses 1 and 2, right? She hears the word of God, he does not. She surrenders her life to Christ, he does not. So if submission is somehow agreeing with everything your husband believes, then you would think Peter would say, go ahead and renounce your faith and follow your husband. He doesn't. Okay, so we know that submission very clearly is not agreeing in, in context at all with everything that your husband says or believes. That's not what submission looks like, okay? We also know that submission is not leaving your brains, your will, or your gifts at the altar. So when you get married, the idea is that you are not then called to lay down all the incredible things that God has instilled in you at the altar of submission. Again, we see that right here. 
Because here we have the word of God coming to both of these people. And the, the woman in her kind of beautiful acceptance of God's grace has given her soul over to Jesus. And you have a guy who has not. And the whole movement here is this woman using her giftings, her will, to follow Jesus. That her independent first and foremost submission, as we see in all three of these scenarios, is to Jesus first. Always and forever. Okay, so we have this idea that it is, it is not agreeing with everything that your husband says. It is not leaving your will, your giftings, your kind of heart at the altar and walking away from all those things. It is not avoiding the opportunity to change your husband. So if we take the Bible completely and we say, hey, it's not really what we're talking about today. It's kind of irrelevant. And the idea of submission from a cultural standpoint would be, I have to submit to whatever it is my husband is doing and leading. Which means, if he's not a believer, my idea was I'd submit to that. That's how the definition culturally comes across. But that's not actually what Peter's telling her to do. Peter's telling her to live her life to win her husband to Jesus. He's actually telling her to work to change his mind. To live in such a way that she becomes, a, the gospel becomes really attractive through her gentle and quiet and amazing spirit. He's actually empowering her and telling her to win her husband to Christ. He's not telling her to blindly follow and submit to wherever he leads. So a woman is called to actively work to engage her gifts, to empower right, the gospel. So we've got this picture that it's not this laying down, not this defeat. It's not I have to go with a flow or a whatever. None of those things. We have the call of a woman who is in a marriage that is where a husband is not leading to follow the Lord and she is actively moving to win him to Jesus, to change his heart and to change his mind. We know that submission is not and never will be putting your husband's will ahead of Jesus, ever, ever, ever. We see that in all these contexts. It kind of makes sense in all these. Like, ever do we see that? If that were the case, and Peter would just say, hey, listen, that's who you got. Sorry. Nope. Nowhere. 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 Always Christ first and foremost forever. Always. Even in our other contexts, every act of submission to government and authorities, every act of submission in terms of slaves to masters, was always in the context of Jesus, I am here to serve you. And that the act of submission is an act of honoring you, and I will lead where you follow first. You are my God. Submission comes always as a representation of that. The fifth thing that we see is that submission is never, and I talked about this in order, never an act of cowardice or fear. It is never coerced. Actually, it's the opposite that's true. Submission is an act of fearless faith. It's an act of fully trusting that God is who he says he is, even in the contexts that are hard. All three of these scenarios are really hard contexts. Submitting to government that wants to kill you. Slaves submitting to masters that are harsh. And a wife learning in submission to a husband that doesn't believe in God. These are really hard scenarios. And they take incredible acts of fearless faith. They are not coerced and they are not born out of fear. They are born out of a rock-solid hope and trust in God and belief that he is who he says he is, and I will stand on your promises because I am fearless. This is not the perfect marriage. This is not the marriage that most of us have longed for. It's not the marriage that most of us have wanted. This is a difficult situation that was actually probably done not by choice in those days, but that she was put into by family connection. And Peter's talking to her about being fearless. 
difficult scenarios, not an act of cowardice or fear. The sixth thing that we see is that submission never follows a husband into sin. God will never call you to submit and be led into a place that he has morally called you not to go. Submission is not an all-out just following your husband wherever he may will. You are first and foremost servant and submitted to the Lord as Jesus is your Lord and Master. And so at the right moment, submission becomes an act of to Christ first. And I will not follow anyone into a place that God has called me not to go, morally or otherwise. So we have these pictures, and culture wants to tell us that submission somehow looks like, well, whatever he does, I have to do. That whatever he says, I have to go along with. That whatever that looks like, I have to lay my will, my giftings, my heart, my strength at the door. That's garbage. It's a lie. It's untrue. And it's not a picture of even Christ in the church. And we see in Ephesians, and we'll get into that later when we get into the book of Ephesians, talk about marriage, but there's this real incredible picture of mutual submission, what that looks like. We're actually going to talk next week about the role of the husband and what that looks like, and there's a really powerful piece at play there. But for our context this morning, we have to understand that that's not at all what biblical submission is in marriage. It is built on a woman who is hopeful and fearless and beautiful because of the reasons we talked about. And it rolls into an act of faithful submission because she honors the Lord. And she's not called to lay her will, her heart, or her giftings or all those things down. She's not called to be weak and powerless. But she's called in the context of even difficulty to trust even more in the Lord. To believe that God has raised her up for these moments. And to use the gentleness and quietness of her spirit to win her husband to Christ. Because she trusts Jesus. Which actually gives a whole lot of life to the idea that if you're in a really hard marriage, there's a lot of hope here. There's a lot of belief that God can use you and will use you to restore and redeem what seems so broken. There's a lot of truth there. So then that begs the question, we get through all that, what, then what is it? I really wrestle with this, trying to come up with a perfect definition because it's just not really out there. So I stole one. Um, because just not above that, right? <laughs> the definition that I found that I really, really like, and I've been through about a thousand of them, just trying to put into place all that, that sort of I've been trying to explain. I believe that Peter is truly kind of speaking to and capturing. And, and the one that just continues to, to resonate with me over and over again actually comes from John Piper. And he talks about this idea uh, in terms of the ultimate and perfect meaning of marriage. This is what he says submission is. He said, submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it out through and according to her gifts. So the idea of submission is this sort of point that he makes, that submission is this idea, this divine, incredibly beautiful divine calling. Right? That not an act of laying down and doing all those things, but a divine calling, which is an empowering appointment. A calling by the Lord is an empowering thing. It's an empowering appointment, right, to honor and affirm a husband's leadership, and to help carry out that leadership through her giftings that God has been giving her. Meaning, using all of the incredible things that God has placed in her. Her hopefulness and her fearlessness and her beauty. And that sort of faithfully submissive heart to the Lord first. To honor the picture of what Christ in the church looks like. Because ultimately the perfect picture and covenant of marriage is a design to show the relationship of Christ in the church to the watching world. That's actually the meaning of marriage. God did not create the institution of marriage so that your life could be kind of what it is. 
fight on the way to church, argue about this, no one likes to go to the same restaurant, no one wants to actually say where they want to go, this or that, trying to avoid telling each other how old you're getting, all those kind of things, right? That's not why marriage was created. Marriage was actually created as an institution, like all the things God does, to demonstrate his own glory, and in this case, to demonstrate the relationship of Christ and the church. And to do away with the idea of leadership and submission is to really do away with the idea of what Christ is in terms of the relationship of the church. This is not a threat. It's actually a beautiful, incredible picture that points to the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that your marriage is actually a representation of the gospel of the watching world. Every time I marry a couple, that's exactly what I charge them with. I say, what you're ready to embark on is not a journey between the two of you. It's not something that you're going to walk out the doors with, and this whole thing is about us for the rest of our lives, and our end goal is just to stay together. And if we can make it to 50 years and have not gotten divorced, then we win. No, you can make it to 50 years and still fail. Tremendously. But the goal and meaning and purpose of marriage is to demonstrate to the watching world the grace and beauty and lordship of Christ. That you become a powerful tool together more than you were just simply apart. It doesn't mean that everybody has to get married. I'm not going down that road. I'm just simply saying that marriage in its context is a beautiful expression of Christ in the church. It's there. And so when we think about it, we hear those words, I want you to fight against the idea that somehow this means repression. Somehow this means something uh, in terms of you having to lay down your power or your will or your gifts or your mind for lies. But a true biblical woman is built on the hopefulness that comes from trusting and believing in God, laughing at the worry and anxiety the future may tell her she has to be afraid of. Because I am fearless because I trust the Lord. As much as the world wants to throw at me and tell me that I have to worry about it, I will not. I will trust the Lord, and I'm fearless in that. And I'm going to radiate the beauty that God has given me, that he has called me his beloved. He has made me, fearfully and wonderfully made me. And when I look in the mirror, I'm not going to scoff at what God has made. I'm going to embrace my identity in Christ and believe that I am his and that he calls me beautiful. And that doesn't always radiate from what happens on the outside ever. It radiates from the inner self and that beauty and quiet spirit that God has given me in Jesus, which means it's not naturally yours. The same way for anybody without Christ, it's not naturally theirs. But you have been reclaimed and remade and reborn in Jesus. And it's beautiful. So quit lying to yourself about what you have to do on the outside and let your inner beauty just explode through you because it's a picture of God's grace to the world. And all those things lead us to this place of going, God, because of who you say I am, the sort of hopeful, fearless, beautiful woman of God, it's going to roll into a trust that is beautifully submissive when I get married. And even if that marriage is hard, even if there's struggles in there, I'm going to believe that you can redeem and restore it. I'm going to believe that you can use me as part of that redemptive tool. I'm going to believe that as I trust you and follow you, that you can even remedy the most difficult pain. That I'm not trapped, that I'm not powerless, but that you have empowered me and given me a divine calling. And not only will it be an incredible testimony from my own heart, but it will show the watching world the goodness and grace of Christ when redemption comes. 
This is the power of biblically faithful submission. It's a true thing, and it's beautiful in the context. What we're going to look at next week is we're going to look at how a man's role in this is actually supported and called divinely as well as we explore these pieces of what it means to be truly called to life. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the moments just to gather in here together. <clears throat> we thank you that your word is living and active. It is true. We don't have to run from it. We don't have to be afraid of it. That if we look at it, it's just an incredible picture of truth for us. And it's empowering. And it's beautiful. And I pray this morning, Lord, for all of us as we gather here. But I pray specifically, Lord, for those women that are sitting here today. I pray for the fact that I believe that you have created them for these incredible divine purposes that exist not just in marriage, but in life. They are full of hope and fearlessness and beauty. And that, God, that you would empower them and speak to their souls this morning. And they may leave here feeling empowered by the word of God. Lord, I pray that as we walk forward, what we would see in all this is that you have this divine appointment inside the picture of marriage, which points to the goodness and grace of Jesus. And that everything that we do, married or leading to marriage or in singleness or in widowhood, Lord, whatever that looks like, would be our heartbeat and a desire to see you glorified, to bear witness to the world, and to be totally free in Jesus. So Lord, as we walk out these doors, as we close our time in worship, I pray that what you would do is you would speak truth and empowerment to us, that you have called us to this incredible divine grace in which we get to demonstrate to the watching world the goodness and the grace of Jesus. Lord, hear our cries. We close our time in worship that we may honor you with our words and our life, our resurrected, redeeming Savior. Amen. Let's stand together and close our time in worship.